The Apostle Paul writes in Romans just before our chosen text for today, and he speaks to us about the need for that goodness of God. He says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the Apostle Paul describing human sin. He's describing my sin. He's describing your sin. He's telling us just how bad it truly is and how deep our sin goes in our lives. Paul is basically saying this. I'm not making up what sin is, and I want you to know how you as a soul are indeed sinful. So I'm just going to quote to you a bunch of Bible verses about sin. And that's basically what Paul does. He quotes from Psalm 5, Psalm 10, Psalm 14, Psalm 36, Psalm 53, Psalm 140, Ecclesiastes 7, and Isaiah 59. Paul's point? The Bible's pretty consistent when it comes to sin. We all do bad things. We sin. Our souls are sinful. In fact, He makes it pretty clear in how he pieces together those various parts of Scripture. He says, we are sinful from head, throats, tongues, lips, mouths, to toe, feet. He's describing how there is this idea of total depravity when it comes to sin. Total emptiness because of our sin. Emptiness of body, mind, and heart. Emptiness when it comes to our thoughts, our actions, our feelings. And there is this need of you and me to be filled once again. For our souls to be filled. So what do we do? How will we fill our souls when they are are this empty? Well, to understand the options we could choose to try to fill our souls, I think we actually need to understand four categories of things in our world. That there are good people and bad people, and there are good things that happen to them and bad things. So let's start with the first one. Good things that happen to good people, we often call merit. What you have earned, or even that idea of karma. You do good things, you get good things in return. It's one way to try to overcome sin, by doing as much good as you possibly can to make yourself better. To do some self-improvement. In fact, I found a list of 42 ways to improve yourself. I just chose the top seven Uh, to maybe see if some of these will help us to fill ourselves, to get better. Uh, You could read a book every day. Uh, You could learn a new language with all this free time we have, of course. Uh, You could pick up a new hobby, take up a new course, 
create an inspirational room with the extra rooms in your house, uh, overcome your fears, or level up your skills. I mean, it's pretty decent advice, right? Some of those things might actually help you to be a better person, so to speak, but is that actually as easy as it might sound in a list? No, right? Yeah. It's not even how it maybe will work out. If you were able to do even a few of those things, is it actually going to improve your life the way that it might seem it would? Probably not. So there's good things that happen to good people, and you try to improve yourself so that happens. And then there's the opposite side of the spectrum. There's, well, bad things that happen to bad people. Now, we probably feel pretty comfortable with this one, too, because it kind of is, again, in that realm of, of karma. You do bad things, well, you're probably a bad person. And if you're a bad person, you should have bad things happen to you. It's also that idea of justice, that what you do describes what things happen to you as in return. You do the crime, you do the time. It's why we have laws and courts and, 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 and jails. It's for those who flunk out of the good people and good things status and need bad things because they're bad people. And so we think good people should get good things and bad people should get bad things. That's kind of pretty fair in our minds. But maybe it's those other two quadrants that trouble us a little bit. When good people get bad things or bad people get good things. When good people get bad things, well, we would call that injustice. We'd say, that is not fair. That is not how things should work. If you are a good person, why should you have bad things happen to you? And when bad people get good things, you know what we call that? Grace. When bad people get good things. That is grace. That's exactly what grace is. It's when bad people, sinful souls like you and I, get those good gifts from God. So really, I would say Paul's big argument here in Romans 3 is that I don't think that left side actually exists. There is no such thing as a good person because of sin. In fact, all attempts at trying to fill ourselves and do enough good things will only leave us empty in the end. So really then, there are only two categories of things. There are bad people who get bad things or bad people who get good things. Romans 3 kind of starts talking about that as we get into our chosen section for today. Paul writes, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. He speaks right to bad people in those two verses. It's the law that tells bad people the good things they should have been doing, the good things they failed to do. So that means there's really two things I think we need to understand firstly about God's law and 
what that says to us about our sin. Firstly, in verse 19, it's that God's law is universal. It says every mouth and the whole world, it doesn't leave anybody out. In other words, I'm sorry to tell you, we're all bad people at heart. And we can't fill ourselves up. That means that goes for whether you have murdered somebody or simply lied to someone. If you're living together outside of marriage or you're in a same-sex relationship. If you've embezzled millions or if you simply kept the incorrect change you were given at the grocery store. God's law applies equally to any of us who have sinned. The other side of this is that God's law is unforgiving. God in his law does not give mulligans. It says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, by keeping what the law says. In other words, you're either a good person or bad. You're either righteous or sinful. There's no middle ground. And by trying, it's like a giraffe trying to be a bear. It's not going to work. And so we can't improve. We can't change ourselves because we are sinful souls. So God's law is actually good in and of itself. It tells of the good things that God wants us to do, the way that God has chosen for us to live. But when God's law is applied to bad people, it doesn't help us become good. Instead, it shows us our sin. It shows us where we have messed up. So I think you'll agree, we probably need a different way. It's a way that doesn't look anything like justice or or karma, things we sometimes like. No, those are actually bad for us. It takes us into this way of grace, something that is so sweet, so good for us. And Paul writes as he continues, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ to all who believe. The law and the prophets tell us about this. That's meaning the entirety of Scripture led up to Jesus Christ coming and how we have faith in him and receive these good gifts of God. But how that only happens through Jesus. How Jesus is the only one who can Fill your soul, the only one who can make you good, even though we're bad. Jesus is indeed the only way. Paul writes in another letter to the Corinthians, and he puts it this way. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin itself for us, so that in him we might actually become the righteousness, the goodness of God. You see, Jesus had to take that sin for us, to become sin itself so that we wouldn't be stuck in our state as bad, sinful people. But the Apostle Paul continues. He helps us understand this just a a bit more. He actually goes back to our sinfulness for, for just a moment, and he says there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory 
of God. Now, I think you'll agree. We have established this morning that we all sin, right? But he wants us to understand the result of this. The result of sin is that we have fallen short of God's glory. In other words, we are no longer like God. We have lost the image of God when we sin. I remember this Gatorade campaign from a number of years ago. It basically portrayed it that if you drank Gatorade, you would be like Michael Jordan. Except if I drank, I could drink as much Gator as I want, and I'm not going to suddenly be six foot six and able to play basketball, neither of which things I, I am or can do. So you could do all you wanted to to be like him, to have his glory and his ability, but ultimately, I would fall short of his glory. Adam and Eve, they tried this too. They wanted to be like God. They wanted his glory. Even though they had all these wonderful gifts and blessings of God, they ultimately fell short and introduced sin to the world. So why does Paul go back to our sin? Well, because he wants to tell us how God deals with this very low state we're in. He does so by his grace and not the law. He says, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God covers us. He, he fills us with his grace. He makes you and me his own sons and daughters through baptism. He literally sets us on the same playing field as his own son, Jesus Christ. He redeems us. He, he buys us back. And we even have justice in his eyes. We are justified by his grace. And so ultimately, bad people even get God's glory. And that's the key. The key is that we've all lost his glory, and so we all need his, his grace. We all need to be brought back to a relationship, the same playing field as our God. So here's what I'd like to leave you with here today. A, a few things that we can remember on this subject of grace and how good and sweet it is for you and for me. First of all, grace is not natural, is it? Back to those four quadrants, those four categories we often struggle when, when bad people seem to get good things because we like it when we earn things, when we climb the ladder of success. We like to say marriages are 50-50 are, are because we all want to put in an equal amount of work and really put in the time and effort. But I promise you, if you work under that system, your spouse eventually isn't going to live up to 50%. Adam and Eve, they tried to earn their relationship with God even though they already had it. And so in our world, grace is not a natural thing. It's something we have to understand and learn and, and grasp from our God. Part of the reason for that is because grace is both free and costly at the same time. 
kind of weird concepts to try to put together and understand those two words there in verse 24 freely and redemption that tells us this free means free of course and redemption means it cost somebody something something had to be purchased from something else so grace is free for you and for me but it costs jesus his very life our son simeon you know, he's done some various things. He's broken some things over time. It's pretty natural for children to do that. But as parents, we give him grace. We give him forgiveness. It's free for him, but it's sometimes costly for us if we have to replace something that was broken. And so when grace is enacted in our world, it can sometimes cost money or frustration it can sometimes cost self-righteousness because you don't lose the ability to judge someone else because you need to extend them grace. It can cost a piece of your heart as well if somebody has betrayed or hurt you in some way. But that's simply modeling how Jesus, how it costs Jesus his very life to give us that free gift of grace. And so that leads us to understand that grace is also shareable. It was given to you without cost, and so you can give it to others. You can extend that grace to others as well. In Paul's letters, he starts pretty much every one of them with this phrase, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see all the references where he uses that basically that same phrase. Now, I really uh, enjoy the 906 Sports Bar. It's my favorite restaurant here in town. And uh, whenever somebody comes to the area, I'll either try to take them there, typically as the first place we go, or uh, I'll tell them to go there if that doesn't work out. And I tell them because it's, in my mind, a really, really, really good place. Well, let me tell you, grace is really, really, really good as well. Way better than any restaurant you could possibly go to. Hopefully you've seen that here as we've walked through this in this message. And you've seen how we ourselves have gone from sinful to graceful. And when you've been filled with God's grace, you can certainly share that and extend that to others as well. And so now you know what grace means for you. How it is the only thing that can fill our souls. And so why wouldn't you take that same grace and share it with other bad people who need it so desperately, just as we need it day in and day out? That grace is what changes lost people into found. From condemned under the law of Christ to saved by Christ, from sinful to righteous. That's what grace does. And that's why everyone needs that sweet, precious gift of grace from our Lord. May you be filled with that grace and may you pass it along as well. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Lord God Almighty, it it is sometimes hard to fully grasp 
what it means for us to have received your grace because of your son, Jesus Christ. Because he became sin itself for us, took our sins on himself, paid the penalty for that sin and bought us back so that we could once again be your sons and daughters. Lord, help us to live in that grace, to understand it, and ultimately to extend it to those around us because we all need that grace so desperately. It is such a sweet and wonderful gift. And we pray this in Jesus Christ. Amen.